Hallelujah. Oh, thank you, Jesus. You know, I'm, I'm going to try to attempt to share a little bit today, um, really from a place of what God is doing in my own life. You know, there's a theory, I'm not going to say it, that basically says that you shouldn't teach something until you've mastered it. I'd have nothing to teach. We could all go home. Um, because I'm a work in progress. And every time I think I've arrived, I get uh, <laughs> uh, embarrassedly, uh, I get embarrassed basically um, by uh, usually the correction of God. Um, and you think I'd learn, amen? But um, God's patient with us. And so um, I want to just, I'm going to stick in the theme that we've been, because we've been talking about the kingdom, you know, and the kingdom is all we should be talking about, amen? Because it's all about the kingdom. It's why Jesus came. It's why he died. Um, and it's really the main thing. It's the thing. Seek ye first, right? It's the thing. But uh, I'm going to come at it a little bit different today because God has been just simplifying some things for me and um, showing me some things that are just, I'm just wrecked, frankly. So I'm going to try to convey some of it. Um, you know, uh, in Mark chapter 14, I mean, Mark first, uh, chapter 1, in verse 14 and 15, um, you know, it, it's kind of the foundation scripture we've been jumping off of, but it's talking about what Jesus preached. And in Mark chapter 1, again, in verse 14, it says, Now that after John was put in prison, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. And he said, The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye and believe the gospel. And so we've been basically saying that Jesus was coming with this revolution. And he was saying the time is now. It's not off in some distant future, but it's been fulfilled. Time right now has come. The time has come and the kingdom of God has arrived. And then he says this word, repent ye. And a lot of times, you know, we have this religious idea of what repentance is. And we've said, you know, in multiple ones of our services that we think it's an altar call where you come up and you cry and you get born again. And praise God, that's a part of what we do when we repent. But if you look at the true meaning, the Greek meaning of repent, it means to change your mind. It means to change your thinking. It means to have a completely different mindset, to have a paradigm shift. To, to have a different perspective, to look at things differently, to renew your mind at such a level that it's subconscious way of thinking, that literally it's your subconscious way of being. It's a heart change. It's an inside-out work of the Holy Ghost. And it has to do with what we believe. And Jesus was admonishing people to believe the gospel, believe the good news, right? And so we've been talking a lot about what it means to be a citizen in the kingdom of God right now. You know, Jesus taught in Luke 17 that the kingdom of God is where? Within, right? And we've been talking a lot about the fact that we are carriers of the kingdom. And not only carriers of the kingdom, but carriers of a king. That we are a walking holy of holies. That we are the ark of the covenant <laughs> walking down the street. That there's no separation between us and God. That the throne that we go so boldly to, that throne of grace, is inside of our hearts. And that we are one with the Father just like Jesus is one with the Father. And that there is no separation 
that he that is joined in the Lord is one spirit with him, that we are married, that we are the bride of Christ, that there was two of us and now we've become one. We've been talking a lot about that identity of oneness with the Father and oneness with God because until we live out of that new identity, our heart, we, we just, we're just messed up. We're messed up. Our motives are wrong. Everything is wrong because we use everything else in the world to prop ourselves up to make ourselves feel good. But when you get your identity in Christ and you really start to recognize who you are, you can live from a place of security that's based upon the Father's love. And so we've been talking a lot about that. But, you know, um, I want to go now to Matthew 22 because I really want to talk about the, the purpose of it all. <laughs> You know, I just want to, I want to, I want to hopefully simplify some things today because it's, he's been simplifying some things for me. In um, verse 34, Matthew twenty-two thirty-four, it says, but when the Pharisees had heard that he had put the Sadducees to silence, they were gathered together. And then one of them, which was a lawyer, asked him a question, tempting him and saying, So they were arguing over doctrine, basically. And they decide that they're going to try to trap Jesus. And so in verse 36, they say, Master, which is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself and on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets okay so jesus is basically teaching about the priority of kingdom living that the first rule the first law okay how many of you know in any kingdom or any city government or any kind of um you know state any kind of government we talked about this that the kingdom of god is not a religion it's a government all right? It says that uh, the increase of his government, there shall be no end. That the kingdom of God is first and foremost, it's a political structure. It's a government. It's not a religious term. It's a political term. And that in any kind of government, there are always laws. And the most important law, or the first law in the kingdom, is that you love the king. That you are devoted 100% wholly to the king. And I'm reminded of you know, if you've ever seen like medieval movies, right? Like King Arthur, or, you know, some of those movies, you know, the knights, right? The knights were totally sold out to the devotion of the king to the point they would lose their life, right? And in the kingdom, that's what we're called to be. We are called to be so sold out to the Lord that we literally lay down our lives for him. It's a, it's a divine exchange. You know, a lot of times we, 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 we sell the gospel of salvation, which is not the true gospel of the kingdom. It's just one piece of the gospel of the kingdom. It's your ticket in. And we sell it wrong. And we basically say, get saved to avoid hell. You know, it's fire insurance. It's, you know, just get saved so that, you know, um, you don't burn forever, Right? But really, there's a lot more to it in the fact that it is a divine exchange. It's a great deal. It's a great deal. <laughs> you know, we exchange our sin for his perfection, our, our sickness and our disease for his wholeness, right? 
our insecurity for his completeness. I mean, it's a great, great deal. But what it means is that you actually have to die because you have to be resurrected, <laughs> right? You've got to die so you can live again. So that part of it is kind of, you know, is like not maybe the exciting part because we have a lot of control freaks, Right? We have a lot of people like to be in control, and it's scary to lose control. It's scary to die. It's scary to lose yourself sometimes. Amen. It is. Because it's safe, right, when you're in control. You control it. You decide where you're going, when you're going, how you're going, what time you're going, if you go. Right? But that is not a kingdom concept. Okay? It's just not. I mean, I, I didn't make it up. Thank God. But then there's a second part of this that says that the second law is that you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, first of all, let me say this, because I have just gotten a revelation about this today in worship, because I have spent, I don't know, some days now just being demolished by the Spirit of God and letting him... Show me how far away I am from this commandment. That's a good thing. It's a good thing. And know the word of God says, be careful when you think you stand, lest you fall. You know, at the Friday night Bible study, you know, I, I'm going to thank Kim because he gave me a book the other day that blessed me. And I knew when he told me the title that it was a book I had to have. And it was just called Transparent Leadership. Awana, we got to add that to our order list. Praise God, we're going to have a library back here pretty soon. But I, I loved that title, Transparent Leadership, because, um, you know, I grew up with a, a hatred of hypocrisy. I grew up in a religious home where we went to church on Sundays and we abused each other all through the week. And I went to a denominational college um, where literally I wanted to vomit on religion because it was just disgusting. We had a code of conduct that we did when everybody else was around and then we killed each other when everybody wasn't. And so I just rebelled from all of it. If you want to, I rebelled from religion. That's what I really rebelled from. And, you know, I went to the other extreme, blah, 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 blah. But the point is, I mean, even in college, I would not join a sorority because I could not stand fake. Anything fake, I just could not stomach it. Now, I probably went a little bit overboard with this to the point that it was, you know, rebellion versus the right redeemed thing version of this. But the point is, you know, I am, I loved, for example, I, I believe that the Lord used Joyce Meyer in my life as the person that I was filled, the way I got filled with the Holy Ghost was because she just spills her guts, man. You know, she tells you all the dirty laundry and, and praise God she did because she reparented me through the process and taught me what it was like, what, what marriage meant. I mean, she taught me, you know, through her mistakes and it blessed me. And so that whole idea of transparency and all of that is so appealing. I just love it. I'm, I just am so hungry for it. You know, it, and, and so when Ken told me that book, I mean, that just, it blessed my socks. I knew I had to have it. 
And so he shared that with me, and so I, I started reading that. But I had a point before I stopped to go there. I'm hoping I can remember it. Does anybody remember where I was? Oh, I had a revelation during worship because God has been giving me this perspective of myself. And let me just let me turn one other scripture because I, I just want to I just want to make sure that there's nobody here thinking they've arrived. And I don't think that you guys think that. But you know, it, it's it, we can all think sometimes that we've, we're further along than we are. Do you, do you know what I mean? It's such a deception. That's the thing about about pride is that we think something that's just, we're just, and the thing about deception is you don't know you're deceived. Did you know that? That's the thing about deception is that you just, you really don't know you're deceived. But in, um, I'm trying to find this um, scripture I want to go to. Um, oh, please are, tell me I wrote it down. Hold on one second. Here we go. Matthew 25. Okay. In verse 40. Let's start actually in verse 31. It says, When the Son of Man shall come in his glory, and all the holy angels with him, then he shall sit upon the throne of his glory. And before him shall all gathered, all nations, shall he separate them one from another, as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. And he shall set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. And then the king shall say unto them on his right hand, Come, ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungered, and you gave me meat. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. And I was a stranger, and you took me in. Naked, you clothed me. I was sick, you visited me. And when I was in prison, you came unto me. Then the righteous answer him, saying, Lord, when we, when saw we thee a hungered and fed thee, or thirsty and gave you drink? When saw thee a, we a stranger and took him in, or naked and clothed thee? Or when saw we thee sick or in prison and came unto thee? And the king shall answer and say unto you, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as you have done it to one of the least of these of my brethren, you have done it unto me. Here's the point. You can measure the, the coldness of your heart or the hardness of your heart by how available you are to the messy people around us. To the poor, to the hungry, to the homeless, to the addict, to the people that are the throwaways in society. The people that nobody else wants to deal with, to sweep them under the rug, are the very people that Jesus says that when we do something to them or help them, we actually help him. His face is found in those people. You know, I'm reading a book right now by Heidi Baker called Compelled to Love. It's an awesome book, if you've ever read that book. And I've read it. (coughs) Thank you. (laughs) And, you know, that book, and I love Heidi, but in this book, you know, she was talking about how she would get excited to go preach at big meetings and go and do these great things in ministry, and the Lord told her to stop it. And he said, I want to teach you about my kingdom. And she's like, well, Lord, I know about your kingdom. He's like, no, I want you to stop it. I want you to sell everything you have, and I want you to move to Mozambique. And I want you to learn about the kingdom from the poor. I want you to learn about the kingdom from the poor. For blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs are the kingdom of God. And she starts talking about this revelation about the Western church. 
and the difference between the church in Mozambique and the church in the western part of the world and the fact that the people in Mozambique know they're hungry. The people in Mozambique know that they are naked. They know that they need help. They know that they're starving. They know that they're thirsty, and they come eagerly to the kingdom. But the thing about the western church is that we don't know that we're hungry because we're fat. We don't know that we're thirsty because we go to a grocery store and we have 150 types of drinks to choose from. And we live in warm houses and don't recognize that our hearts are cold. And I want to tell you something. It's gross. And I will step down before I will be that person. I refuse to live my life in vain and not learn how to love, which is the purpose that Jesus died for. He was love. He walked out love. He died for love. And he bought us for love. We were born into a kingdom of love. We serve love. He's love. We serve him. We're sold out to him. We lay down our lives for love. And there's no way to learn it unless you get dirty. When I was dirty, when I just got filled with the Holy Ghost and I was still walking in half of the sins that I did before I got filled with the Holy Ghost. No, I think I was walking in all of them, actually. At least for a little bit of time. That's exactly where I was. I was in the crack houses. I was in, the, I was in, the, I was in places that my mother would have come and got me if she knew I was in there. Because it wasn't safe for a woman by herself to be in those places. But I didn't walk in fear. I didn't walk in anything but the joy of God. I had the blast. I had a blast with the crackheads. I had a blast in the ghettos. I had a blast. When you saw me going to church on Sundays, it was like, I told them, what I tell you guys? It was like the, the special ed bus pulling up. <laughs> it really was. It really was. I mean, you never knew what was going to pour out of my car. I mean, sometimes we had to get ministers to come out to the parking lot just so we could cast the devils off these people to get them in a service. But that was before I was in the church even. And yet somehow we get to sometimes to a place where we think we're above this or that it's not our problem to solve. You know, this tent city thing, is wrong and if you think the city government is going to solve it that's a joke and I believe that I have the answer I really believe that God has given me the answer for this but not until he first of all showed me me and I mean I got I've almost been depressed y'all 
And I was manic depressive, so I know what it means to be depressed, right? Now, praise God, I don't go there anymore because I know that's demonic. So I'm not depressed, but I could have been if I would have allowed myself to go there. Because here's the deal. When God shows you, you, you can do nothing about it. We are powerless to change ourselves. We are broken without hope. Only the grace of God can pick us up and transform us. And so it kind of got to the point where you get, where you're like, okay, 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 okay. I see it, but I'm just now frustrated by it. Because now I don't know what to do with it. And he, you know, I'm like, God, I can't change it. He said, no, but you can give me your heart. And so now I'm in the process of that heart surgery. And if you can drive by that tent city, I just want to, and I'm not condemning you guys, but I need, I want to wake up some, I want to wake us up a little bit. If we can drive by that tent city and not have compassion on those people, we are hard and heart if we aren't doing something if we can if we can walk by this stuff and and we have believed a lie we believed a lie that is not from the heart of god about that situation then we need to repent and we need to come to the lord so that he can rebuild our heart so that it beats to his drum and then lay down our lives for his purposes. And praise the Lord. <laughs> I mean, praise the Lord. I'm sitting in worship today. Well, let me back up. I'm sitting in worship on Friday. And I'm raising my hands with just makeup all over myself. Because God's dealing with me, you know, for the 10,000th time. Except in this time, I'm raising my hands. And the Lord comes and puts on me this ugliest mantle robe thing you've ever seen. I mean, a potato sack would be nicer. Right? It's just terrible. And it's a robe of humility. And I'm standing with a sword in my hand and a crown on my head in this ugly robe. And it was beautiful. It was beautiful. And I'm crying. And Jesus is standing right in front of me. Wiping the tears. Wiping the tears. Wiping the tears. Wiping the tears. Because that's a picture of who he is. He's a king clothed in humility. And each of us that have been recreated in Christ, that's who we are. That's the real us. And we have been given the sword to serve. But guess what? All of us have to learn how to do this. Every single one of us. Now, some of us might be you know, even Mother Teresa, right? I mean, we might be Mother Teresa. We might be Heidi Bakers. 
but we still have room because the scale is Jesus. Right? <laughs> right? <laughs> and I'm so, I'm sitting in worship today, and now, you know, like I said, I'm almost depressed, right? Because this is just an impossible thing. But I'm standing in worship today, and I see a hole in this hand, and a hole in this hand, and I hear the Lord say, I paid the price for you to be love. I paid the price for you to be perfect love. Not only did he pay the price for us to be healed, do you understand what I'm saying? But he paid the price for us to be perfect love. So he's already done what's necessary to fix me. He's already paid the price that's necessary so that I can become like him. And so the work for that's already been done. And so now, in other words, that's good news to me. Oh my gosh. Hallelujah. I felt like Paul, like who shall deliver this wretched person? Right? And Paul says, thank God, Jesus, right? You know, I refuse to settle for mediocrity. And I love that scripture that Paul prayed. Let's go over to Philippians in chapter 3. Verse 12, he's saying, not as though I already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after if that, if that I may apprehend that which also I am apprehended of Jesus Christ. Now, in the Amplified, it says a little bit clearer. It says, not that, I've, not that I have now attained this ideal, I have already been made perfect, but I press on to lay hold of grass and make my own that for which Christ Jesus the Messiah has laid hold of me and made me his own. Paul's saying, I'm trying to grasp the thing that Jesus grasped me for. I'm trying to grab the thing that Jesus grabbed me for, and it's for love. I was apprehended by love for love. That's the purpose. That's why we're here, is to learn to love. And it's impossible without Jesus. And it's the, it's the primary purpose of, of living. Another book that I recommend, if you've never read it, is a book by Rick Joyner called The Final Quest. Has anybody here read that book? Okay, just three people, four people. It's an awesome book. It's a, it's a, a everybody agree that's read it? Um, it's a book, basically, that Rick had over a series, it's a, a book about um, a vision that he had over, over about a period of a year. And he gives a picture of the end times church. And it starts out with the hordes of hell are marching. And it's a 
picture of the, of the, of the church and how the armies of demons are riding on the backs of Christians and how Christians are like horses and they don't know that they're being ridden by demons, but that the devil is actually using the church against itself. I mean, that, I, mean I couldn't put the thing down when it opened that way. It's a powerful, anointed thing. <laughs> and then it, the, the book continues, and it, it talks about, you know, Rick, and he sees these Christians. So half of them are being ridden by demons. The other half of them are over here, like, oblivious that all this is going on. They're just over here having a party. They're having a party. And so the hordes of hell are approaching the party Christians, and the party Christians are just completely oblivious that this is going on, and so they just begin to get under attack, and you know, basically they're getting taken out. And so the answer is for everybody to start running to this mountain. And so they start running to this mountain, and I may, I'm paraphrasing, but the point is, is the way they get to this mountain, this mountain has multiple levels and balconies on it, and each one represents a truth in the body of Christ. Of course, the very lowest level is foundation. The very lowest level is salvation. And there, there's just, people are just massacred on this level. I mean, just massacred on this level. But Rick begins to join, they begins to climb up this mountain, and there's just various, you know, doctrines, praise and worship, um, healing, uh, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, whatever, just various levels of, of, of truth as they, they rise up this mountain. And lots of things go on in the book. It's really powerful to read the book. But the point is, they get to the top. They have an encounter with the Lord. They go into the tree, the garden. They eat the tree of life. And they start, when they, so they start heading back down the mountain to rejoin the, the war. Their, their armor is so bright. The glory of God is emanating from them just, just, just bright, 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 bright. So much so that they're going down the mountain as fast as they can. And... At this point, I guess Rick has his armor on as well, and the Lord appears to him as wisdom, and wisdom travels with him up and down the mountain. But I'm saying all this because there's a point. And the point is that as they were coming down this mountain, charging down this mountain, wisdom stops Rick and says, here, put this on. And he puts on this cloak over him. Again, guess what? Ugly, yucky, brown, yucky cloak. Guess what it is? Humility, right? Right? And it's so that he can see because the glory was blinding him. And so the rest of the people that are charging down the mountain are so blinded by the glory that they don't see an ambush from the enemy that's approaching them. And the ambush from the enemy comes behind and starts to shoot arrows of delusion and all kinds of things at this approaching at this this glory these glory army and takes them out and the point is that pride blinds you and that glory without humility is dangerous and so i believe that god has is gathering and is going to continue to gather people that have been crying out for the glory that were born for the glory that have been preordained to be people that release the glory i believe that he's gathering the troops he's gathering people together 
in different places all over the world for this purpose in this hour. And absolutely, we have got to have the kingdom message because the kingdom is not in word, but what? Power. We've got to have the message about the power that we carry and about who we are and the glory and the signs and the wonders and the moves of the Holy Ghost and all of that stuff. It's got to be preached. It's got to be taught. But if we get out of balance and don't make the love of God and learning to love our neighbor rather than ourselves, then we are going to fall. And we'll be a casualty and an embarrassment to Jesus. Amen. Amen. Let's go to another place here. Let's go over to um, John 13. John 13, verse 1, it says, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father, it says, Having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them till the end. And supper being ended, the devil having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he was come from God and went to God, He rises from supper, laid aside his garment, and took a towel and girded himself. Now, first of all, guess what? Jesus knew who he was. He knew that God had given him all things, that he was from God and was going back to God. Well, guess what? That's you and me. The Father has given us all things to richly enjoy. We are one with the King of Kings. We're joint heirs with Jesus. God has not withheld anything from us. We have an inheritance that we didn't earn that includes everything in the kingdom of God. It all belongs to us. And guess what? We have come from the Father, and that's where we're going to end up. Now, here's the deal. (laughs) He rose up, laid aside his garments, took a towel, and girded himself. He poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. So here was the king of kings bowing down to the very ones that called him Lord, serving them rather than being served. Now, it, it's, I, I truly believe it's going to take a lifetime to get this. Really, probably all of eternity to really get this. But it says, because then cometh to he to Simon Peter, and Peter said unto him, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus said, What I do thou knowest not now, but thou shalt know hereafter. And Peter said to him, Thou shalt never wash my feet. And Jesus said to him, If I wash thee not... Thou hast no part with me. 
And Simon Peter said to him, Lord, then wash not my feet only, but my hands and my head. And he said, he that is washed needeth not to save to wash his feet, but is clean every whit, and ye are clean, but not all. Let's skip down to 13. You call me master and Lord, and you say well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and master, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord, neither he that is sent greater than he that sent him. If you know these things, happy are you if you do them. I speak not all of you, I know to whom I have chosen. But the scripture may be fulfilled. He that eateth bread of me had lifted up his heel against me. Now I tell you before it come that when it has come to pass that you may believe that I am he. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that receives whoever I send receives me. And he receives me, receives him that sent me. How many of you know that the word of God teaches that they will know us by our love? They will know us by our love. And love does not seek its own. Love esteems others better than themselves love always thinks the best love doesn't keep a record of wrongs it's not easily offended it's not touchy and I just want to encourage us and challenge us to make this our aim make this our target Make this our highest purpose in life, to learn how to love. I remember one time, the Lord speaking to me, that the great thing about this life was that it was the only place we would ever have and the only chance we would ever get to learn to love because everybody in heaven's perfect. And love only can express itself in the presence of imperfection because it's unconditional. So this is the training ground. And these obstacles so many times that we want to run away from are the very lessons that teach us how to love. I know. Yesterday we went into that hospital and that woman was sitting there with those opaque glasses on, right, and, and needed prayer for her sight and was very open, very, very open. And she's sitting in the hospital, obviously she needs prayer. But then the woman that was behind the desk that came over to pretty much, pretty much tell us we couldn't do it, when Colleen asked her if she would like prayer, she said, no, I'm fine. I survived my cancer. I've done my thing. I'm fine. And the Lord started to show me that that's the condition of most of us is that we think we're fine when in fact she was as blind and needed restoring of her sight as much as the woman that knew she needed help. So in the Western world, we have a lot more of a challenge because we are called many times to people 
that think that they're fine. But the big lesson is that, is that we're no better. <laughs> right? You know, I love the story about Heidi and how she got called to Mozambique. Um, you know, she was in a meeting, and Randy Clark basically <laughs> prayed over her that God wanted to give her Mozambique, and for seven days she was completely paralyzed. They had to carry her in, carry her out. They had to feed her, give her water. She couldn't move. And she said she learned more in those seven days when she was helpless than she did all throughout getting her doctorate degree in theology. And she said when she went back to Mozambique, she just began empowering people, empowering people, empowering people, empowering people, empowering people, empowering people. And where they had planted maybe, I don't know, 20 churches and 18 years or something before that that were, she says, wobbly at best. And like the next 10, they planted like 6,000 churches. And they've seen hundreds of people raised from the dead. I mean, the stories just in that book, Compelled by Love, will just, you just amaze you about the power of forgiveness and, you know, just powerful stories. But there's one part that she was, that I really love about the story, and that's that they, they prophesied over her that through her, the blind eyes would be open and that she would see miracles after miracles after miracles. And she was so excited. You know, she got back to, went over to Mozambique, sold everything. They began to live among the poor. And that's after she'd already lived in the slums. But she was living among the poor, learning about the kingdom, and began to lay hands on blind people. And guess what? Nothing was happening. She said, did I get discouraged? No. I had a word from God. I knew that there, that his power was still the same today as it was yesterday, and I just needed to press and figure out what it was that I was missing. So she just kept doing it and kept doing it. Well, the day came when she laid hands on a, a person that had just white eyes, on a woman that just had white eyes, and she laid hands on her and she prayed for her, and right before their eyes, the eye went to gray, to brown, to full restored sight. And they came over to this woman and said, you can see Mama Ada, you can see Mama Ada. And she's like, well, that's a weird coincidence because her name in the native language is pronounced, they call her Mama Ada. And this woman's was Mama Ada, and now she's Mama Ada, and it was the first person she ever played, prayed for that got her sight back. So, wow, isn't that interesting, right? Well, she goes to the next meeting, the next town or whatever, and prays for another person, that same situation. No eyes, no, no color, no people's nothing. Prays for her. The sight begins to come back to her eyes. I mean, changed colors, everything, full restored sight. All the villagers run, Mama Ada, Mama Ada, you can see, you can see. She's like, okay, God. Now this is a little bit more than a coincidence. She goes to another town. Prays for a third blind woman. Guess what happens? She sees, and they run around her saying, Mama Ada, Mama Ada, Mama Ada, you can see. She says by this point she's completely wrecked. She's on the ground just bawling and bawling and bawling. Lord, Lord, what, what, what? They began to give her this revelation that she was blind and that he needed to restore her sight. Now, if Heidi Baker was blind, 
and now she sees. I'm just venturing to think that we might have a little bit of work to do here. Amen? But how many of you are up for it? Right? How many of us are ready to take the plunge? Right? I know I am.